Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us once again in Transforming the World Through Reflections. And this time, the focus of our conversation is burnout in pandemic times. And I am so thankful today to be in the presence of these wonderful people who will share with us their reflections on what burnout has been looking like uh, in these 15 months. Can you believe 15 months already? However, uh, as people of color, we have added layers to this narrative of burnout that predate the pandemic. And we're going to jump into that water. So uh, now I'd like to introduce you to everyone here. Uh, first, uh, my name is Melissa Shepard Williams, and I'm a psychotherapist and a professor. And here are some wonderful friends and colleagues. Uh, I'd like you to first meet Ebony Williams, please wave. Ebony Williams is a psychotherapist and also adjunct faculty teaching at a master's level uh, within the Cultural Family Psychology Program of Pacific Oaks College. And uh, we also have here with us, Dr. Bree Cook, who is the Vice President of Academic Affairs at Pacific Oaks College. Now I'd like you to meet uh, Ashley Asbury. Ashley is a registered nurse and creator of Strong Nurse. And, and the programs in it are all to provide her colleagues with uh, inspiration, encouragement to do this work they're passionate about in a healthy way. And now I'd like you to meet Jake Ross. Jake works uh, at the Los Angeles County Department of Public Social Services as a supervising contract manager and district director. So let's jump in, let's do this. First, I, I would like to ask a question to all of you just about how you're doing now that we've been through 15 months of this pandemic. What's helped you navigate this? I'll jump in, I'll go first. Um, I think taking it slow and realizing that it really has had an effect, you know, on not just emotional health, but physical health. So just sitting, even though I have a nice expensive desk chair and I have a nice desk and, you know, I make sure my computer's eye level and all of those wonderful things, sitting for a whole year um, and only taking a few steps to go to the kitchen or a few steps to go to the bathroom in my house has really taken a toll on my body. Um, only having to get dressed waist up <laughs> and walk from bedroom to here <laughs> has taken a toll and just mm -hmm. how I even, my routine, right? So starting to go back, um, being able to do that gradually has been extremely helpful. Um, and then just keeping, being mindful that it's, everybody is going through the same thing. So my expectations of myself, um, 
I try not to be hard on myself, a little like, you know, large hearted, like, oh, I forgot my shoes today. I guess I'll be wearing flip flops at office, you know, just, you know, not and not beating myself up over things that I just haven't had to do in a year. Like we all are relearning um, how to actually <laughs> move um, in the simplest of ways. Just it's, yes. it's just really simple. Yes. Yes. Such an interesting challenge. Well, I guess I can start with mine. Um, I'm a frontline worker and I was there at the pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and even then it's still cycling with patients coming in and coming out, some with COVID, some with not. Now it's just this overarching fear that everybody that comes into the hospital with just a cough and not even a cough anymore, we have to isolate them and you know be mindful and very careful that we don't expose ourselves and other people to it. Right. So um, of course, I work in a cohort um, with coworkers basically, and everybody handled it differently. Mm. Initially when the pandemic hit, we were heroes. People rewarded us for our actions and stuff. I mean, like, I think I gained 30 pounds because <laughs> it was like cookies and cakes. It was like food every single day. They were like, here, you know, like, let's feed you guys. Because it did get to the point where, I mean, I couldn't take a break. It was crazy. Um, you know, the people, they were so sick. Yeah, all I remember doing is just dialing pumps in and exchanging mm. bags. Stuff. I mean, like, in the body count on top of that, it was, um, it was a lot of people. So um, what I did in order to cope with the, the pandemic is to actually start my brand Stronger Nurse because I saw it and I've been watching it for a long time. And it's always been in the back of my mind. It's like, what can I do to mm -hmm. help other nurses become resilient through situations like this? Cause this is not our first pandemic. There's been plenty of other things there, you know, it was H1N1 and then there was Ebola and then there was Zika virus. So we've always had those uh, warning signals that something big was around the way. And mm -hmm. so we were not as vigilant as we should have been before. And then it just kind of like slammed us. And unfortunately, a lot of nurses, they left the field. And that's really unfortunate for you, me, and everybody in the world, because yes. without nurses, that's a pretty dark world. Um, and so what I've been doing in my spare time is um, working on creating a, a community um, that focuses on the five areas that nurses, I mean, a holistic view of how a human being is. We're emotional, you know, we, it's mentally straining, you know, mm -hmm. our relationships, we struggle with those. Financially, it may have paid a lot, but at what expense, you know? Mm -hmm. And so taking kind of all of that into um, what can we give to ourselves and in turn give back to others to help make our community stronger along with ourselves is really kind of my focus. So it's helped me stay strong actually through the pandemic and my mood and my attitude is a lot more chipper uh, than most people, but I'm very grounded um, mm -hmm. as well um, because of it and being able to hopefully spread that to not just Dallas and the hospital I work in, but just across the world and hopefully be instrumental in, in changing the way that nurses respond in the future. 
Wow, thank you so much for that work uh, that you've done. And, uh, so, um, wow. Yes, Jake. Yeah, well, I guess I'm doing okay. Um, when um, <clears throat> the pandemic, pandemic first uh, hit me in terms of how things were going to be in my workplace, um, I realized that um, I needed to do more um, since um, a lot of my staff as a district director, I'm pretty much responsible for all the staff uh, who work at the district. Um, but as they um, express their fears and anxiety over the, the, the disease, um, I was put in a precarious uh, position of having to determine um, what the operational needs were for the office. And uh, with that, I had to say who could telework, which was implemented uh, at the onset. Um, we had never allowed our staff to telework before, but I had to um, make decisions about who could telework on a staggered schedule, like Tuesday and Thursday or Monday and Wednesday, or who could telework full time based on um, what they call comorbidities and um, underlying my underlying conditions and uh, um, and and yelling at me about my not understanding their need to be off, and then I was faced with trying to meet the dem demands of the public. So um, it was it was challenging. I, I recall a time when um, I had two of my staff sort of in limbo um, with regard to my saying whether they could telework full time. And um, as someone who watched CNN, you know, incessantly at that time, I had heard the news of uh, uh, the CNN personality uh, Cuomo contracting the virus. And immediately when that happened, I was still at work. I, I, I emailed the two ladies and I said, as of today, you are authorized to telework full time until further notice. And I copied my boss because I was kind of feeling as though upper management was putting the, 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 the responsibility on district directors to determine um, what level of staffing was needed but it, should something go wrong, they could point the finger at us for having insufficient staffing. So, so I was caught up in, with that. And then I had three managers who all needed to be out at the same time. And they used to open the office early at seven o'clock. So I had to open the office at seven o'clock and I would stay until after seven o'clock. And then I started um, getting notifications about my staff contracting the virus. Yeah. And there were protocols that had to be followed with respect to that. I remember the first time that I got uh, a notification, I was actually at home on a Sunday and I didn't know the protocol. So I was calling everybody who I could think of who might know. 
And so someone in HR was actually able to walk me through it, but I left my laptop at home. So I had to go into the office and I was there until 10 o'clock. And so with that, there's so much that has to be done. You have to notify so many entities within the department. And then um, it required a, you know, um, extra sanitizing of the office spaces. And once the workers found out that they, that someone contracted it, they didn't want to work anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that was what, that. What a <laughs> lot. You know, just the adjustment. Mm-hmm. Well, and the thing is that we shut our office offices down. LA County shut all of our welfare offices down and we still haven't real staff teleworking some full-time some on a staggered shift and I don't know if you guys recall back in October when there was uh, a surge in yes um, yeah so I had to send something to all staff letting them know that we were expanding mm-hmm. teleworking to allow individuals to telework more Mm-hmm. And there, and then I had to go through that same process again of determining who I was going to let telework more and who who I wasn't. So that's the job. And then you know, there's there's what goes on in society, and there's what goes on in home, and yeah. and how you. I had to make adjustments. Actually, I was doing okay at home. I was, you know, making te- uh, tequila sunrises on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> Wondering why I didn't contract a virus. <laughs> oh my God, Jake! It sounds like I, I'll, I'm blessed to have a little spot. It was, it was, it was great at home, but quite a challenge at work. You move through so many, so many adjustments. Like all of us in this group uh, are helping professionals, and so, right. and so the pandemic has had an impact on us in, in, in really specific ways. Ebony, I'm wondering what, what it was like for you. Um, for me, I think it was multifaceted as I'm hearing for everyone, right? Like there's so many layers to this experience and I found it incredibly humbling because mm-hmm. for the first time I'm experiencing uh, pretty pretty much the same thing as the clients I was working with. It all has different variations, but we're all in it together. And so, um, you know, for me, I had actually, before all of this happened, I actually had left my full-time job. I had a child in August in 2019. So I had just come back in January. I had come back from uh, parental leave. I had left that job and moved to a a group practice. So I had been there a month Mm -hmm. and then everything got shut down. And so I had probably seen my clients two times, maybe three times total and moved, moved to teletherapy. Um, And for many people, I was, you know, one of a few people that they actually interacted with. Um, Even though it was virtually, it was kind of like, um, you try not to miss ever seeing a client in general, but especially mm-hmm. when you might be their only source of, of connection. Right. Um, and I think when you add in the intersections of race with all of, 
all of 2020, you know, really supporting folks through tough moments of deciding, are they going to go and protest? What does that mean for their welfare? If they have co-occurring or if they have like medical um, challenges, are they willing to put that at risk? Should they put that at risk? What are the anxieties that come up after that? You know, family members getting COVID, how do you help them when they're in the hospital and advocate with them while you're also trying to manage your own everything, right? And so, you know, the goals that you start out with are not always the goals that you end up with in a pandemic. And yet people, Mm -hmm. I I witnessed so much growth and I think, you know, the work that I do was part of my ability to cope and move through because I got to witness the best of people's humanity and ability um, and strength, even when we all are in a really anxiety provoking, depressing, tough time, dramatic experience. So that was one thing. Um, And then also shifting to, you know, being home with a toddler. Well, at that time, an infant Mm -hmm. um, 24 seven, right? Where you you are everything. And I think that can be overwhelming in the midst of not being able to go outside, right? So the, the things that a child should do Um, We were right, um, we were in the evacuation um, warning area for the Bobcat fire. Mm -hmm. So, and I have, I have bad asthma since I was a child. So, and having a, you know, at that point, she wasn't even a year old. um, We couldn't really go outside. So, you know, the mix of that, the mix of the anxiety around, you know, just driving a car as a black person. being near a fire area, COVID, there, it's a lot. Yes. And so I think where I found a lot of my ability to cope was, you know, not just the work I do, but it was having conversations with my partner to know that I'm not alone in this and that we can figure this out um, together because I think that was really helpful for me. But also after, um, the fire's cleared and all that, just going outside again, being in nature, practicing gratitude. Um, my partner and I have a practice with the end of each day, we talk about what's three things that we're grateful for or Beautiful. that we enjoyed about our day. So Beautiful. noticing those small moments and being able to make them feel bigger because they really matter so much more than I know I gave credit for beforehand. Beautiful, thank you for sharing all of, of what you experienced and, and witnessed and, and what's keeping you grounded, it sounds like. And, and that's a word that, that struck me uh, from, from what Ashley also shared, you know, what's helped to get, get a sense of groundedness through this difficulty. And it's so layered. Uh, being people of color, we are experiencing this in some additional ways, um, because we've brought years of pain, generations of pain into this pandemic. Brie, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that, um, because we, we have so many discussions about historical trauma, you know, the pain that moves through generations, and here it is, meeting up with with 
COVID. Exactly. And if if things hadn't come out before, you saw them. <laughs> you saw them now. Um, and and Ebony mentioned, you know, what we hadn't mentioned before was all of the unrest, all of the um, things that our community was feeling attacked by, all the things that were happening, all the protests and the violence. And I mean, it was, it really was a pressure cooker, you know, this whole year, this whole time. Um, and there's no way that we can ever not acknowledge anymore um, the effects that slavery or any other historical trauma has played on the black community over all of these generations and um, to no fault of our own, um, but not to be victim, you know, not to be victim of, but it, it's there, it's there. And, it, and we, can, we can no longer deny it and we shouldn't have never denied it, but we need to acknowledge it so that we can begin to heal. Um, our eyes are, you know, the term they say woke, but you know, our eyes are opening. Yeah. Um, people are, you know, with the help of social media, and I'm sorry for the background noise, because of course my husband is working. Zola. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, with, the, with the help of social media, um, you see things instantly, right? So I know I've heard like, people like Will Smith and other people say, it's not any incidences are higher. It's just that we see them now. Mm -hmm. um, remembering that the LA riots happened 20 something years ago now, um, but that was really our first experience, kind of something being on film like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and video mm -hmm. and us kind of seeing it and, and reacting um, at that time. But now it's like a daily occurrence. So you have that, you have, like Ebony said, where you can't go out of the house. You have, um, you know, all of our healthcare professionals like Ashley is 24 seven dealing with the trauma. It was really just a, a horrific pressure cooker yeah. um, for everything that has happened. And now we have to really focus on healing. Like we, it's, it's imperative. Yeah. Um, when I said I was being kind of funny when I said our bodies, you know, just sitting has had an impact, but 100% sitting has had an impact. Um, so I told you, I got a puppy earlier. I, I got a puppy during the pandemic. So I became a, <laughs> became a pe um, pet owners during this time. We didn't have no babies and there's no grandkids, but, um, we did, we did, we did become fur parents and just going to walk him, um, I experienced, when I say excruciating back pain, like mm. debilitating, couldn't stand. That's from walking, trying to walk. Oh, we're going to be healthy. I'm going to be healthy. Um, and so when I'm having this conversation with the doctor, she had to remind me, you've lost probably all your core strength just because you've been sitting, right? And so I, I, I do the Zoom calls, Jake, you haven't had to do Zoom call. I do the Zoom calls probably eight hours a day yeah. <laughs> minimum for my job and um, really had no idea how bad physically things had gotten. 
So never mind that I broke my ankle during the pandemic. So never mind any of that. That too. Um, so many things have happened <laughs> to, but to everybody. Yes. I have friends who have lost so many people, family members and cousins and aunts and uncles from the, you know, from, co- from getting the um, COVID. Um, but historically, the, the thing, the trauma affects our healing. The trauma affects our, our coping. Mm-hmm. Um, so not just the historical, but then you have the generational, you know, and the bad, the maladaptive coping um, continues and it gets worse. Um, we, we just, we have to address it. Um, earlier this year, I went to a funeral of a 20 year old who had committed suicide. Um, and his mom basically said, it's another, you know, another death to the pandemic. Um, it's claimed a lot. This, this, this pandemic has claimed a lot and we're, it's going to take all of us working overtime actually, um, to reclaim <laughs> the health and well-being in our communities. Yes, so true. Um, like you said, we we've brought into into this experience um, not only the pain, but also poor ways of coping. So part of the healing is learning new ways of being with with our pain we really are going to need to reach out and welcome the support of people who've been busy with their own healing. And I don't mean just professional helpers. Um, You know, it's really been brought to our attention in this pandemic how urgent it is to go deeply into learning about our history. Um, so that we have a better understanding of why we move in the world the way we do. And now in a pandemic, how come we're moving through it the way we are, you know? And, and, and also remember the strength of the people that came before us and uh, hopefully go from surviving into thriving. May this pandemic shift us into that, but what a process. In the meantime, we're exhausted in so many ways, so many ways. Ashley, I am curious to hear about, you know, the the process of of creating stronger nurse in the middle of a pandemic. That's powerful. How, How did you muster the energy with all that you were doing to create this in support of healing, you know, your, your colleagues and, and well, it affects the community at large too. How did, how did you do that? Well, I would say first it starts off with the lack of understanding. People Mm -hmm. don't value their health. And that's primarily what I, I've been a nurse for 12 years and I traveled a lot. I was even in LA and when I was in LA, I did private duty for, you know, billionaires. And then I even took care of people in the community hospitals who were homeless. And the main thing that I had all seen, especially with people of color is the anxiety towards the doctor. They wait to the last minute to come to the hospital. I mean, like they'd be practically near death, you know? 
And then when I would spend the time and talk to them, one of the primary issues that they had dealt with is the um, medical personnel, had they been to the doctor, just told them, oh, you know, everything looks great or, you know, I'm saying you're doing fine. But they never really understood what that meant. And then they would use, of course, the medical jargon and talk to them, but they would talk at them, not to them, to make sure mm -hmm. that they really understood what was mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. And so I made sure that I spent a lot more time with my people of color to make sure that they understood their health, their condition in long-term, what it would do to them. Um, but even then there's that struggle with that knowledge deficit where it's like so much to grasp, like those concepts of, you know, just basic diet and, you know, discipline, like you said, the, the mental health, the physical health, like, everything is kind of wrapped around those things. Um, and it is, it, it's generational. And it's a poverty mindset um, in many ways. And even health can be a poverty mindset um, as well. And so in thinking of all of that, and I just considering myself, um, it, was, it was really time to start something because we are usually the last person a lot of people see. Like I sent a lot of people off. Like Ebony said, you know, a lot of people, you know, fearing for the health, not knowing if it was worth going outside, worth going to go see family um, because they had underlying comorbidities and stuff. And then they didn't have anybody to talk to. So I would be the last person that those people would see before they died. And like with that and being a nurse, that takes a toll on you mentally and emotionally. And the job is backbreaking as well. Like I know you got to sit at your, your computer, but I had to, you know, move that way. You know, people that were paralyzed that I had to turn on their stomachs and, you know, there were not enough staff. There was not enough nurses. So um, I just knew that I needed to take care of myself, but I need other people to take care of themselves too. So we could take care of other people as well. Um, and I mean, it's probably a little bit of altruism with nurses that we would give, give, give until mm -hmm. there's nothing left. We're literally exhausted because I do know that some days I will come home and like there was nothing left. You know, <laughs> I was just beat and I was working six days a week, mm. uh, you know, 72 hours a week. I did it nonstop for a year and how I made it. I just I kept going. I. I, I I had to, I knew it was necessary for the life mm -hmm. of all these other people that, you know, were coming in there. And like you guys said, their family members as well. That was a whole nother layer of conversation and explanation and knowledge deficit that we had to talk to people about. And then they couldn't come into the hospital. So we had to talk to them on the phone. And even that <laughs> was hard. It was very difficult because people cannot visually see what you tell them. Mm -hmm. So to be able to put it in terms that they could understand, you know, that your family member is not going to make it out of your life because of this, this, and this. And then also combating the um, misinformation that it was false, you know, it was fake, COVID was made up, you know, it wasn't real, we gave it to them or whatever. It, it was... It was mentally draining. Exhausting. So I had to, yes. to do something. Yes, like, oh my goodness. And so I know what I felt. And then I watched my other coworkers and walk around like zombies. You know, there's nothing left. There's nothing left for me to give. I just exist. 
And that's mm-hmm. kind of how a lot of nurses, if you look at them in their face and kind of talk to them, it's it's killed their spirit, you mm-hmm. know, and their passion and their drive for what they really like, why they do this. Um, and so giving it back, finding a way to mm-hmm. give it back mm-hmm. um, in a like in a brand that joy, you know, peace and happiness, kindness, like all those things are great and you can have those and give them too, you know, and being able to find that work-life balance in between them. You know, so I knew it started with me. I need to become strong first. And then once I get to that point, then I can spread that to other people and help other people become strong too through a community, which is key. We're now at the point in time that we need to align ourselves with a community of people that we can trust and also depend on to tell us the truth and also lean on for resources and support. And so it was time to create it. Somebody had to. Mm-hmm. We've been floating out here doing it almost by ourselves, but nurses, there's, there's all of us across the world and nothing is holding us together through this pandemic. So we needed something. And that's why I created it. Thank you. Thank you. And you know, one, one thing that stands out as I'm listening to you is when you said in different ways, I had to start with myself. That's powerful. I, you know, for, for us, that could be a revolutionary act right there to even say, I start with me because our history has told us we need to keep going. We can't, stopping to rest is a luxury. We need to keep going to survive. Um, And then there is the fact that we find ourselves working uh, at a higher intensity uh, in relation to people who hold privilege and don't work at the same intensity that is not expected, you know? So there's that layer as well. So for you to say, I had to start with myself. I'm I'm hoping that those words touch a lot of people. That that's how we transform our, Mm -hmm. our generations to even feel like we are worthy to say, I have to start with myself. Mm-hmm. So I thank you for your work. Yeah, thank you. Supporting, your, supporting yourself and your colleagues. Mm-hmm. Yes. On that note, I, I want to circle back to you, Jake, because as someone who uh, is supervising so many people um, in an environment that's all about social service, I'm wondering what helped you to take care of Jake so that you could be a, a good listener to people in your team who, who needed energy? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, my, um, um, you know, just my natural being as far as uh, me being empathetic and me being understanding of uh, behavior. You know, my my undergrad degree is in behavioral sciences, and so I've always tried to um, be someone who um, 
listen to people when they um, um, had problems or came to me mm-hmm. asking for help. So um, as far as what staff were going through, um, initially um, I was told that I needed to you know, follow these guidelines with respect to um, how staff could you know, be given certain schedules. Um, but once I, I, I discovered that I had a lot of latitude in terms of um, allowing staff to you know, work at home more and, um, um, and um, adjusting their work schedules, um, I would you know, allow them to provide me with um, information, whether it was a doctor's excuse if that was part of the protocol. And, um, you know, it was just listening. You know, I, I had to even learn more about active listening because, mm. you know, I, you know I, I tend to talk a lot. I meander somewhat, um, but, you know, I really focused on listening to each and each individual who came to me um, with, with um, concerns. And, um, and I think that they could see in me that I genuinely um, care. Uh, and so um, I, re- I really do feel that I have a good re- relationship with most of my staff. I would say 99% of my staff. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because of how I try to put myself in their place. And um, so while I know I have my own um, idiosyncrasies and um, ways about myself, um, I, I don't look at them as, you know, behaving the same way that I do and reacting in the same way that I do about different situations. So that, that tends to work, work for me. But I, I, I must say that um, someone who like takes in news um, um, and someone who is a voracious cons- cons- consumer of like CNN uh, uh, news announcements, MSNBC, uh, the New York Times, uh, the Washington Post, um, taking in all of that information and hearing about what's going on um, has made me somewhat cynical during this pandemic. And I'm glad Ashley spoke about what she does and and how she's committed. And and when Bree talked about a lot of loss, you know, my cynicism started kicking in when I felt like um, some of the, some of the nurses, for example, were just giving up, and and I I started thinking about my own mortality. And as I am now a senior, I'm thinking, okay, well, is this the the way that people are going to be treated now? Um, before the pandemic, one senior person needing medical attention was given a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. But because of because of the onslaught of, of 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 sick patients due to COVID, it just you know they weren't getting the care, and they and they weren't being looked at as being special anymore. So all of that has kind of made me think about how I'm going to be treated over the next 10, 20 years if I'm fortunate to live that much longer. So. Um, 
while you know I, I talked about you know trying to enjoy myself, I, there's still a lot that has set in with me, and I you know I'm wondering what this new normal is going to really look like. Mm-hmm. You know, so I have those questions. Yeah, Jake, I am I'm listening to you talk about your the 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 different experiences you had at work with your team and the listening and the empathy. And that is such a, a, well, in my humble estimation, a gift to a team uh, uh, in leadership, the, the, the openness to listen deeply. And it's interesting that you brought it up earlier. I was asked about, you know, how does an, an employee that feels burnt out you know, that they recognize burnout. Because one of the things about burnout is that you don't even know it's happening. You lose perspective. But I asked earlier about, okay, so you have someone who knows they're burnt out. Uh, What should they say to their employer? And it occurred to me that, you know, there's so many different things you could say to that person about what to say to their employer. But a lot of people are tentative about that. You know, uh, you would need to have a supervisor that ideally is flexible, understanding, empathic, willing to make certain adjustments to support you in healing so that productivity is not just quantity, but quality. No, you're absolutely right. And I... I, and I actually have said to um, several of my staff, you know, the old axiom, you know, you come first, take care of yourself first, the job's going to be here. Of course, you know, I, I, I say that to them, and I think they appreciate it when they hear that from me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when you think of us, not just us in, in, this, in this conversation, but us people of color, you know, oppression shows up in the workplace. What are the, what are the odds that someone in our community is gonna so easily say, yes, I'm gonna talk to my employer. There's gotta be some sort of atmosphere already set that says, yes, I'm welcome to go talk. So aside from the talk with the employer, there's the, how do I reconnect with myself? You know, how do I uh, connect with a village? Like Ashley, you were saying, connecting with your people to then reorganize yourself in a way that helps you do your work with love again. You know, uh, the opposite of the cynicism you were talking about, Jake. You know, the cynical attitude is is part of burnout. I, I went through it. I was crispy, well, years ago. Uh, but then... <laughs> I'm laughing now, but uh, the pandemic uh, gave me back some flavors of it. So, you know, once you've been burned out, you have to be very watchful of the way you move in the world. And so in this pandemic, I have had to be very observant of what's going on inside because I have a past burnout experience, you know? Ebony, what are your thoughts on, on this? And you know what, May I, before you say something, Ebony, 
I want to share with the group that in addition to, to Ebony being a therapist, she's also an artist. And so much of the work of supporting someone's healing um, has to do with the arts. I'm curious about your thoughts on this, Ebony. Yeah, I mean, uh, so many. <laughs> um, for me, it is essential to bring art into the healing space because it's culturally relevant across the board, right? Uh -huh. um, I acknowledge that sitting across from, you know, a therapist or someone who's titled as an MFT, an LMFT, LCSW, all those things uh -huh. is not where everybody wants to be. And how do we make therapy accessible? Right. You know, like I grew up with my grandmother having this idea that, you know, therapists, they just want to keep you there forever. So they have an income. It's like, that's not true. But I still would want to support somebody who is seeking, who's seeking help, but doesn't think that, you know, a therapy room is the right space for them. And so mm -hmm. art is, is a space, right. And are, you know, also f folks who may not have access to funds in a lot of the spaces that I've worked. Um, I've worked in trauma recovery centers. I've worked at um, DMH contracted spaces in private practice, in private group practices. And so in more of the community mental health spaces, they're free, but usually the wait list is four months long, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do we create access? Um, during this whole time, I have, you know, and before this, you know, I, I believe in developing different creative ways for folks to engage in healing. And one of the things that have really come out of this for me is an expansion of what I, I want to build, which is developing interventions, right? Clinical interventions that are even more so art-based, but also digital, because I've heard from so many colleagues that, you know, especially those who work with, with youth, that when they were face-to-face -face with, with youth, you know, there would be presence. But moving and also suddenly moving to phone and to video, um, they can't really get them to stay more than 10 or 15 minutes on the phone. And so how do we create more engaging tools for youth to get the support that they need mm -hmm. um, and how do we use art and, and the digital media, which I am by no means, <laughs> it is not my wheelhouse exactly, but I'm willing to learn and to connect with the folks who know how to, who, how to make that translation happen. So I think that is a huge part of it. Um, and, and I also, um, I'm a trauma-informed yoga instructor. And so, you know, for me, the body is huge yes. because the body is the thing that will tell us what's going on. I, I recently, I was listening to this, this um, podcast with Bessel van der Kolk um, speaking and he's just, he wrote the body keeps score. I want to meet him one day anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he actually said he's so many things that blew my mind, but one of which was the purpose of the brain is to protect the body. And I was like, floored. Boom. Because no one has put it that way to me before, mm -hmm. and yet there it is. Mm -hmm. And so how do, how do we 
um, move from this kind of space of like neck up, right? The brain is the only thing that matters to a holistic space of they, they need to work in tandem because trauma happens and is stored in the body as well, right? And so you may talk through it for five, I tell this to all my clients, we may talk through it for five years, but if we don't work it out in the body, it's gonna trigger you again. And so movement, intentional movement, spontaneous movement, art, doodling, you know, I teach doll making, you know, like all of these things help remove it from the body and transfer it out because we're living with all of it. And what ends up happening is then we place that on each other, right? The violence we're feeling internally can't stay within us for so long without being expelled in some way. And we do it in ways that um, harm each other. So how do we find alternatives? I hope I got to your question. Oh, yes. It got, to, it got to it in the juiciest way. In fact, Ebony, I wish your words could be a national anthem. <laughs> Better, listen, uh, we could talk for hours about how the body carries all the information of our lived experiences, the delicious ones, as well as the painful, the traumatic ones. The yeah. body carries it all. You know, so so to heal from from burnout, the reconnection begins with the body. It begins yes. with the body. So to go back go back to something you said earlier, Ashley, when you said I have to start with myself. I mean, that is a glorious pause to hear the body when we're in in, in survivor mode as we have been for generations, well, no time to hear the body. So we don't know we're burnt out. And then the pandemic shakes us to the core because we don't even know the extent of the pain we've brought into this set of 15 months. So I am so thankful that you have all shared um, all these different angles of, you know, survival and also uh, the path to thriving. I am so thankful for all of you. I'm wondering if you'd like to share one final thought before we, we end this conversation. I'll go. My um, final thought is it, you gotta take a minute um, and I think that's kind of what you just said, uh, Melissa, you don't, you don't realize how things have affected you until you actually sit down and do some self-reflection or and just be still for mm. just a minute. Mm. Um, and then you can kind of, you know, whether you journal or make a list or a mental list, or you talk to, you know, a partner, a spouse, or a friend, um, or a therapist, um, to really kind of create a roadmap for, for your recovery. And all of us are, are gonna have to recover from the effects of the pandemic, right? So whatever negative um, or stig stigmas we had about recovery and the word recovery, well, 
now it's, it affected everybody. And so even the ones who had to continue working like um, Ashley and, and Jake were still, you know, and even Ebony, you guys were still working through the whole time and, and maybe even out there. Um, there's a recovery that's going to happen with having to shift from not working, you know, six days a week and, you know, 24 hour days to what kind of used to be or used to what this new normal would be. Um, and we, we all have to have a recovery plan, right? And, and, and a plan for how to kind of get back to this norm. So it, you can't do that though, until you sit and kind of take note of what has happened um, with you. So just, just finding a few minutes to actually sit and be quiet. Thank you, thank you. Yes. Well, I just like to say that after listening to these three brilliant ladies, um, it's kind of reinforced the, the notion of exposing yourself to um, ways of healing. Um, and uh, I was really struck by what Ebony talked about and how that holistic uh, approach to healing the body um, or, or making the body um, feel better or um, maintaining the sort of help that you need um, through the, the total body um, connection is something that I'll be calling her about. <laughs> um, and, you know, and just hearing her speak, it reminded me about something that I was doing for a while that helped me cope. Um, and um, that was um, actually uh, meeting with someone and talking about what was going on. Mm. Um, and, and, and it was interesting how that happened because it was more, more or less um, acting classes that I was doing one-on-one -on -one with somebody, but I was actually getting more out of it. It was um, kind of therapeutic. And so I, I just think that there are many ways that um, we can possibly um, um, get the sort of... Um, um, support we need. And so um, I, I'll offer that to people I talk to. And uh, so I really appreciate uh, being allowed to participate today because I think I've learned a lot just from this discussion. So thank you so much, Ms. Shepard. Williams. <laughs> I'm so glad you were here too. Thanks for all, all you've shared. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what I what is coming to my mind is the fact that I went to the chiropractor this morning and I have it <laughs> and I, and I have a amazing chiropractor who just works on balancing the nervous system. Right. And so um, I went for the first time since this whole thing began. Well, yeah, in over a year and I could tell every location on my body mm -hmm. was a space that had been, hurting so much and it had built up over the year right whether I'm hunching over more now or I'm sleeping really you know in a way that is not supportive um, so there's so much that got corrected in my body and so you know I'm not drinking enough water all of these things um, are, are impact mood impact just the ability to you know get up and move somewhere after the end of, uh, after you wake up, right? And so 
I think even the little ways that we can be in tune with our bodies, just noticing mm -hmm. what our bodies are trying to tell us mm -hmm. um, can be a really uh, beneficial practice to walk through your week with. And I always just try it. It may not work for you, but just try it because yeah. it can't hurt to actually hear our hearts and our bodies and what our legs need and what our stomachs need, what our digestion needs, our heads to, to connect with that so that maybe we'll actually be connected with ourselves as we start to connect more with other people again. Yes. I'm with you. My body work has been walking, uh, definitely meditation. Uh, this room that I spend so many hours in is also my dance room. Um, and with my students, before we start class, we, we have moments of just being with the body for, for a few minutes. And we talk about it being the art of transition. They might have been in a, in a Zoom right before that one. <laughs> but just to be with the, be with the body, especially if we're going to be in inviting a client to learn how to be with the body in a new way. Yeah. Body work. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that, Ebony. Ashley. Okay. So my final word is I'm actually going to follow up on a couple of things everybody said. Um, one, Bree mentioned something about a recovery plan which I am a thousand percent behind up to including that is actually one of the results of the community that I'm creating mm -hmm. is within a year, you know, step-by-step step, we address, like Ebony said, all the things holistically to make you stronger, which is the mind and the body and the emotions and your diet. And I mean, I go to the chiropractor every week, even through the pandemic, I went every single week because I knew that that was important for me to be able to physically do my job and mentally stay in balance. I mean, yeah. I got um, a counselor that I had been seeing every week through the pandemic. And then on top of that, I got a meditation coach. So I formulated my own plan to stay grounded as I went through it. And so helping other people, you know, I'm also gonna help them create that. The other thing Jake mentioned about his mortality which is so key. <laughs> that is one of the biggest reasons why I did Star Stronger Nurse is because it's generational. You know, when, you know, I get sick because it's gonna happen to me, just like it's gonna happen to you guys. I wanna make sure that the nurses who take care of me are strong enough to take care of themselves and care enough to take care of me because hmm. they have taken care of themselves. Say that, that is like Say it again, That's say it again stronger nurse yeah oh say that again <laughs> mm. make sure yes it's the truth i yes. need to make sure that those nurses have taken care of themselves that they're strong enough in themselves so when i become a patient one day which is not my goal but it will happen one day that they care enough for how they take care of me like that is key. They, they give me everything that I have instilled in them in that plan that they've created. It's just like, look, I see what you're missing, you know? And so we're able to treat those people holistically as well because we do listen. I mean, we do have to deal with the, the mental things that they deal with. We do help them financially, you know, that's what social work and case management. Nursing is multifaceted. 
And so it's, it, it affects everything in your life. And so I want to make sure that when you guys age, that you will be taken care of. And that's not something that you can be cynical or fearful about. Okay. Thank Beautiful. you. Thank you. That's a that's, 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 that's sure. Mm. Yeah. That's the goal. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Wow. What a rich conversation. What a rich conversation. I, I want to thank you all for creating time in your day for us to be together, thinking out loud together about taking care of ourselves so that we can give more richly to others. Be well. Thank, Thank you, you, Melissa. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Right.